introduce to you our uh, speaker for today, Pastor Lance Faulkner from Bridgepoint in uh, Bridge City is our pastor today. He has been preaching at Bridgepoint for 19 years, and he is actually one of our overseers here at Redemption. So we have the great redemption honor to have you on the platform today. So let's give it up for Pastor Lance. Hey. Hey, all right. It's good to be here. And uh, I'm glad that you made it this morning. And all the pleasantries that you can imagine that most people say, just imagine that I've said them. And there you go. Thank you all for having me. And uh, none of you had anything to do with it, you know, but you came anyway. Uh, you know, it's funny, whenever preachers are, are, are visiting a church, they always thank the congregation for letting them come. But you didn't, you did, I mean, like you you didn't get a vote on that one. It was like I was coming no matter what. But uh, anyway, I am glad to be here. I love redemption. I met Pastor Byron years ago before the church was started. And I liked what he was, I liked uh, the conversations that I had with him. And uh, we began to support redemption before it was alive and uh, before it became into fruition. And uh, we continued, we've, we've supported it, we continue to support it. And uh, one of the reasons why I do it is because uh, I like it whenever a pastor does what they say they're going to do, and that was one of the things that, that I really liked, and I've shared that with other churches that we've helped out in the area. It's like, we're, we helped them, we've supported them early, and not so much that they need support anymore financially or anything, but like, we're here, and part of it is because they do what they said they were going to do, and you just got to, you, you know, a lot of us have great intentions, but we just don't follow through, and so... Uh, with Pastor Byron, I appreciate uh, and Redemption following through with the things, growing the church the way that you want to grow it, uh, doing the things that you want to do. So uh, he is on uh, whatever, the sabbatical is a uh, Christianese word for long vacation. And, uh, you know, if, if you're not familiar with that, and maybe, you know, we, we're in Southeast Texas, we've got plants all around us and refineries, and we're like, what in the world somebody need a month off or whatever, like that's crazy. I want some of that. Let me tell you why real fast. Pastoring a church is different than any other job because whenever you go to wherever you go, you clock in, you do your job, and then you get to clock out. And whenever you drive through the gate, you're like, mine's off, I'm, do I'm done. I don't, I, the place can burn down and it doesn't matter because I'm not there. And uh, the problem is with pastoring, uh, you never get the clock out. You clock in and then there's never a clock out that you get to hit and, and take time off. Your, uh, we don't work every, uh, we don't work all day, but we work every day. There's never a day where Byron, wouldn't, whenever Pastor Byron wouldn't be able to say that he's at work. Like I have done work for the church. It is, it is consuming. And the first year or two, here's, I promise you, Anybody, almost anybody could do our job for two years, like for real, because it's just this adrenaline rush. It's fun. It's, it's exciting. You got all this stuff going on. But after about two years, you realize there's no time off and there's no weekends off. And there's no time, and, and so to, you, have to, you have to create some lengthy time to, to shut your brain off so you can refresh, because if you don't, you burn out. And so uh, Pastor Byron runs at a pretty high pace, so we were very excited to say, you just take some time off of your, all the building stuff you got coming up, take the time off, be refreshed, and uh, then get back and do the 
go, you know, go full bore like you've been doing. So uh, anyway, I appreciate him and, and, his, uh, and his drive and the things that he does. Uh, as I get started, I want to share the same thing that I share with my church several times. I usually share it about once a month just as a reminder for them. But uh, today I'm going to share with you something that's very simple, a very simple word. Pastor Byron gave me the, 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 uh, the scripture block that he wanted me to talk out of, and I've been super busy. Like I just got back from Denton. I don't know what I did last week. Uh, and the week before that, I'm not positive, but uh, last week I was at, I went to Denton yes, Thursday, uh, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, I don't know when, but I had to go through Tyler to go see my dad. Uh, he's uh, got failing health issues, and so then we went to Denton to see my son graduate from lineman school, and then so we were there Friday and, and, and Saturday. We got up, we did some other stuff, we came home, went to a wedding, and then I went to bed, and now I'm here, and then I'm going back to Fort Worth. My car, my truck is packed, and so as soon as we finish the fourth service, I'm going back to, Den- uh, to, to Fort Worth to finish some, uh, some schooling stuff that I've been working on, and so it's just been all like all over the place, and uh, uh, anyway, so whenever Pastor Byron gave me this, I remember thinking a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I'm not going to have the time to really to put into this what I normally do. And so I was like, Lord, I'm going to need a little bit more, uh, I'm going to need a little quicker help is what I'm going to need. And so as I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is not the block that I would have picked, but I sure love it. This is what every church like ours needs to hear. And it was very quick. And then I've, I've been able to get down and, and spend a little time kind of working through the text, but but whenever I say churches like this, you know, you can go to any church and, and point out what the problems are. Like I can go to a mainline church, a, a liturgical church, and I can be like, oh, here's the problem there. You can go to, you know, super charismatic church and be like, oh, well, we see the problems here. So you, can, you can come to churches like this one, like Redemption and like mine, and people can say, oh, I see the problems right there. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. We all have issues. They're all different, but the different denominations, the different way we do it, they all, they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses. And today, one of the weaknesses, I want to address one of those weaknesses that, that more charismatic, and I'm using that in a very broad sense, uh, that term, and, uh, that, that we have as a church and, and kind of to, to pinpoint some things about it. But here's what I'm going to ask. Whatever you will receive from whatever you give honor to, where whatever you give honor to is what you receive from. Now, a lot of people, uh, your life is filled with drama because you honor gossip so much. Like whenever, and and what that means is, is partially, it simply means this, to give attention to. Like, like husbands and wives, the way that we honor each other is whenever they're talking, we go, what? I'm busy. Like, like we honor we put that down and then we pay attention, right? That's, that's what we do. And you will receive from whatever you give honor to. And some people's lives are filled with drama because they honor gossip so much. Like, ooh, did you hear? And we like hone in on those little bits of gossip, the little things that we hear. And we want to know more about it. Well, tell me more. Like, like we're super interested in it. Well, the Bible is the same way. When we give honor to the word, we will receive from the word. And so I want to encourage you in these next 32 minutes, they're going to go by so fast. You're going to be a man. <laughs> I hope they do. But they, uh, if you will honor this and you just kind of hone in and say, Lord, not only is this the word from, from you, this is the word for me. Tell me how this is working in my life. You will receive from that today. So uh, y'all were in the book of Acts. Y'all are in the book of Acts. I did chapter 2. And y'all got down to 30, chapter uh, verse 36. This is the church is born. Uh, Peter preaches the message about uh, about really it's about what you need to do to be saved what the Jews did to Jesus and then it picks up here 
in verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, uh, pardon me, the promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, say, uh, pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number that day or that were added uh, to their number that day. So he tells them, so this, the, the, that one phrase, uh, receive, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You can see that throughout the book of Acts and I know that you're going to get to it. So let me just jump to it. Uh, and, and Pastor Byron and I, uh, we, we, pretty much share the same ideas. And, and if you have a different idea, that's fine, okay? That's totally fine. But here's the thing. Don't just base it off of one scripture. You base it off the full counsel of the word of God because you're gonna find, you can find a scripture to support anything you want, but you gotta find the full counsel of the word of God to support what's really real. So uh, I believe, we believe that there's salvation and we believe that there's a baptism or the end, uh, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So whenever we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. But for some crazy reason, and we'll ask you when we see him, Lord, why did you have this baptism of the Holy Spirit? We know that he lives inside of us, but there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit as well. And that is a secondary thing. It's something that doesn't, it, it can happen at salvation, but it doesn't have to happen at salvation. And we'll see, you'll see instances as you go through the book of Acts where people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if, if somebody says, because I grew up mainline and we're like, that's not really a biblical saying, you're actually going to run across it in the Bible in a little while where they say, where Paul runs into some people and says, did you receive, y'all are Christians, but did you receive the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I wasn't really excited when I read that in the denomination I was in. But anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, can, do you speak in tongues? There were some that did and some that didn't. It's really weird. And here's my whole point is this. I, I like to think of it like this. God doesn't like to be put in a box and say, this is the formula that you have to work inside of, you know? And so, uh, hey, you form your opinions, you listen to what Pastor Byron teaches, read and, and bring in the full counsel of everything that you're going to be reading because that's how we establish truth. That's how we understand truth. We can't just say, oh, it said this, but this is the only way. No, no, no. You, they're, 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 you're going to find scriptures that kind of seem to be contradictory. So you've got to, you know, work through those and see how they all fit together. But good luck with that. All right, so. The, uh, listen, they've been, they've been wrestling with this for a long time, you, you know, and we're going to keep wrestling with it. All right, so uh, the church is launched. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 2. The church is launched, and a couple of things to remember. Uh, they are in Jerusalem, and there is about a million people at this time uh, in Jerusalem. 3,000 of them get saved. Boom. They give their life to Jesus. They become Christians. It's what we call, this is the Christian movement now. They give their life to Jesus, and there's 3,000 of them. Now, again, remember, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? Like 3,000 people, but that's only 3% of the people that were there. That means 97% either didn't hear or didn't care about any of this. And, and what it means to me, whenever I just kind of look at it, it means this. They still had a lot of work to do. They still had a lot of work to do. And I think about it for me. So I, I live in Bridge City. My church is in Bridge City. And if everybody in Bridge City decided one day, everybody woke up and said, I want to go to church, more than half of them would not even be able to find a seat in a church. What does that mean? That means that we got a lot of work to do. 
you know, in Beaumont, I, I can actually go through the numbers in Bridge City because I can look at the map and I can count all the churches and I know uh, approximate seating because I'm weird like that. Um, but uh, I don't know what it is for Beaumont. But I would imagine that you would be closer to two-thirds of the people in Beaumont wouldn't be able to find a seat in a church if everybody in Beaumont was like, time to go to church and everybody did it. What does that mean? Simply this, we got a lot of work to do. If we're, if we're followers of Christ, we have a lot of work to do. Now, also as you read the book of Acts, remember they did not have churches. They did not have church buildings. Church buildings like this, gatherings like this, didn't even happen until around 300 A.D. So here's how it worked. Now, obviously, you know, and you'll read that they met in the homes. They broke bread together. It was kind of a more of an organic gathering. But also what they did is they had the temple and the temple courtyard. And this is where they would, they would get together. And the way that the temple courtyard worked in this culture was if I'm a teacher, I would go to the temple courtyard and then I'd just start teaching. And if I had disciples or followers, they would come with me and they would kind of either sit down or whatever the cultural thing was. And they would they would watch me or listen to me, and other people would come around, and I'd talk until I was done talking, and then I would be done. So, and then you may have three or four or five or a lot of different people teaching all at the same time, whatever. But that's kind of how it was then. And so what they would do is the Christians, like if I came into the temple courtyard, I'd see the Christians over here talking and visiting, and they would be, the, the primary discussion would be that Jesus is the Messiah, right? That, like, they just kind of, like, come to that re, uh, realization. So they're talking about it. Well, I may see my friend John or whoever, whatever good Jewish name is. I may see them and, and go, hey, talk to him for a minute. And go, hey, why don't y'all come over here with me? And I would bring them over to where the discussion about Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, I would bring them over there to where that discussion was going on. It's kind of like inviting people to church. They were actually doing this as, the, as part of what we would call the first church. And then, they, of course, they would meet in homes. Uh, they, would, they would have gatherings, but they were more organic. They weren't saying, hey, I'm going to 9 o'clock. What time are you going? Like the, there was none of that going on yet. 300 years later. So whenever you read and you see church and the gathering, don't think of this. It was completely different back then, and yet they made it work. So here is the focal point. I don't want to say them. The Bible says that their, their response to the gospel was they were cut to the heart. This, <clears throat> this has a lot of meaning to it. And if you, if, you listen to, uh, uh, if you listen to podcasts or listen to any teachers about this, uh, you could do, read a little bit of commentary about it. Uh, there's a lot that goes on into that phrase, cut to the heart. And everybody will take it back to, to Hebrews, talking about the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts into us. Basically what it means though, and I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, is that it means that they were moved, like, like they were stirred, uh, that they had been, it's not, it's not like an inspirational quote. It means that it's something, whoo, something's going on and I got to do something about it. That kind of movement, you know, and I think that we all know what it means to be moved. And so here's, here's why this is vitally important. Because you go to a church this is charismatic groups, okay? We go to churches that if we don't feel moved, then we don't feel like we've had church. And, and, and you'll be, you, either you're guilty of it or you see it. We want to be moved. God moved on us. Whoo, that was good. And we go home. We live life the same way we lived it the week before. And then we come back and we're like, I, want, I need to feel moved again. I need to feel stirred again. But stirring isn't supposed to just be something that stirs us and we come back. That's what drug users do, okay? 
Like, I just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Oh, I need to feel that. Leave. Come back. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. That's not what we're here. That's not why we are stirred. And so these men and, and women were stirred. And they said, what are we supposed to do because of this move of God? Because God is doing something right now. What are we supposed to do? And Peter says, I got three things for you. He had the first three-point sermon, I guess. Number one is this. He said, where is it? And I want you to repent. <laughs> we repent. That's pretty simple. I told you this was really, really easy stuff. Repent. Repentance means to turn away. Like we've always heard it, turn away from God, turn away from sin and turn to God. Really, it's simply this, turning to God. That's really what it is because when I turn to God, I'm turning away from sin. But it also means to change the way you think. Now, how many was here the last time I spoke? I don't mean earlier this morning. Okay, yes. I was like... I don't remember when it was. I was like, when was it? But I, was, I, I hope it was that time I was talking about the way that we think. And, and, and you know, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, one of the goals as a Christian believer is to have our mind transformed by the word of God so that we will think like the Lord wants us to think. We can think in line with how the Bible teaches us to think. And it's difficult because everything we do, even our feelings and our emotions, stem from the way that we think. So it's so vitally important that we understand the Word of God and we apply it into our life and we think in biblical ways. I'm not saying think positive. I'm saying think biblical and that will change everything about you. Well, to repent means that I'm, I was going this way. Now I'm going to turn and I'm going to go this way. I was living like this, but now I'm going to turn to the Lord in that area of my life. But I also have to do, the way I do it is I change the way that I think. For example, if whenever I was saved, I changed the way that I thought. I thought I was fine. And then I realized that I was not fine. <laughs> and I immediately turned and I changed the way that I saw myself. I also changed the way that I saw sin. I changed everything because of the way that I, I turned to the Lord and I changed my thought life. So here's an example. If, you, if God deals with you about being mean, like maybe you're just a mean person, and I would bet that in this room there's some mean people. Okay, good, no, no hands. Um, and God says, I want you to repent of that. You don't just say, I'm not going to be mean anymore. I'm not going to be mean anymore. You have to change the way that you think about other people. And if you don't change the way that you think about other people, you'll still be mean. And then you didn't really repent. You were just like, whoops, sorry, right? And a whoops, sorry doesn't really get us anywhere. So whenever these people were stirred, this is what, the, this is what, what, what Peter tells them, repent. You've got to change. You've got to turn from what you're doing. You turn to the Lord. You've got to change the way that you think. Number two, he says, be baptized. Now, we believe in baptism. I know that you believe in baptism. Uh, we don't get it, though. I mean, let me just say, we don't get it. So to the Jewish people at this time, there's two types of people in the world. There's Jews and everybody else. That's it. There's God's chosen people and dogs, and that's how they viewed it. Uh, there's God's chosen people and then bad people. That's it. That is all there is to it. So this type of baptism was reserved for Gentile, that's the name, Gentile converts to Judaism. So we don't get it. I don't get it either. But what they're saying is be baptized. In other words, we want you to understand that you're worse than a Gentile, which they wouldn't, it wouldn't be a party right there. That's, a, that's an insult. And that you are converting like a Gentile would so that you can become a Christian. In other words, it would be like social suicide for them. Like it would, it would cause them to separate families, 
cause them to separate friendships if they did this. It was a big deal. Now, you know how it is. I know how it is. We baptize a lot of people. I know you do too. You can track some of them and a year later be like, did that look like that didn't take, right? It happens. Not these guys. Because the second they went under that water and came out, it's a statement that they can never retract. It was a statement that would never be forgotten. They were baptized and if I was a Jew who didn't believe in Jesus, I would, I would keep them at arm's distance for the rest of my life. It was a big deal for them to be baptized. When we understand it like this, it's, it's the outward expression of what happened inside. It's the outward expression of what happens inside. We uh, don't have time. Okay. Number three, receive the Holy Spirit. It's said a little different, but you'll see it throughout the rest of the scripture. To receive the Holy Spirit. Um, this is the gift that we're promised. Uh, we're promised power. Now, I want to be real clear. We're not promised power to speak in tongues, okay? Now, we're not promised power to do that. Uh, I, I don't even see, well, you'll see people in the Bible that in, in the book of Acts that spoke in tongues, that received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. You'll see people in the Bible that the Holy Spirit must have accidentally forgot to include that part where they spoke in tongues because it's not mentioned. And I think he did it for a reason. And I'll let Pastor Byron tell you all those reasons whenever he gets to those passages. But the reason why there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit is so that we can have power. Acts chapter one, verse eight says that you will receive power to be my, yeah, my witness. The word witness is where we get the word martyr from. So he's not just saying that you're going to witness. He's saying your life is going to be a witness, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to live. I'm going to empower you to live in such a way that you're already dead. I'm going to empower you to live in such a way that you gladly lay your life down for Jesus. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So all this is definitely what happens when we're confronted with the gospel. I was a kid going in my seventh grade year. Uh, you know, I was going in my eighth grade year of school. Uh, it was at summer camp and the Lord confronted me with the gospel. And I laid in my bunk bed that night and I just said this, Lord, I do not want to go to hell. Whatever you got to do, I'm yours. <laughs> and, and I was saved from that moment on. Uh, a lot of other things happened, but I changed the way that I thought. I repented. I was baptized. I received the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, always also, when it comes to receiving the Holy Spirit, remember this. Really important. Always remember that the evidence is always seen in the purpose. So if anybody ever, if you ever deal with questions, the evidence is always seen in the purpose. I mean, Jesus didn't give us the Holy Spirit just so we could, ooh, look at me, poof, magic tricks, uh, whatever. The evidence is in the purpose. So always find out why something was given. So that's what happened when we were confronted with the gospel. But I believe this is also a plan for whenever God speaks to us, whenever God cuts us to the heart, whenever he moves on us. Again, that's a, that's a very simple summary of the word. But you go to church, you've, read, you've listened to podcasts, you've read your Bible, you've prayed, you've talked to people at different times, and you have felt moved, right? We all understand that conceptually. But how many times have you been to church? And I wonder how many blessings are lost from the church service to the church parking lot. Like God is speaking and moving. And then by the time we get to the parking lot, we're kind of, oh, it's all good. <laughs> and we kind of forgotten what was going on. It wasn't going to be like that with these new disciples. It wasn't going to be like that with these new followers. And here's what I see happen. I see Christians get stirred, get moved and inspired over and over and over and over again, but no fruit from it. And you've experienced it. 
and I've experienced it. We are stirred, we are moved, and then a week, or la- a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, there's not been any growth or any change in that area. See, God is not trying to inspire us. He's trying to grow us. So whenever you are moved, whenever you are stirred, what do you do? What must we do? Here's what we must do. Number one, guess what? This is the same word we just used. We've got to repent. We repent. That's an inward decision. If, if God speaks to you, he's working to get us to change and to grow. And this is going to require us turning from something and turning to God. It's going to require us changing the way that we think about whatever it is that he's trying to get us to turn from. Let me give you, I've got two examples. This is my life's message. I can preach this sermon every month and I will have people come up to me at the end of the month and go, man, or come up to me at the end and go, man, I really needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. Here's one of the biggest struggles that I see Christians uh, struggle with is forgiveness. I see Christians that are unwilling to forgive, and that's really sad. But what does unforgiveness look like? It means that we're bitter towards somebody. It means that we have a negative view of somebody. We treat them different because of whatever. And, and, and here's the deal. Nobody will ever say they're bitter towards somebody. Like, we would never confess that because we're Christians, right? But we are. And here's how you know that you, have, that you are struggling with unforgiveness. Think about that person that really, really, really set out to do you wrong. Like, here's the funny thing. Most people don't actually intend on doing wrong. We just make an assumption about what they did. And so we hate them. Uh, pardon me. We are righteously angry at them or something. It doesn't matter if somebody intentionally hurt you or if they accidentally hurt you. The forgiveness is required on either part. And so it doesn't matter. So here's what I see. I see, oh, here, here's how you know that you're, that you're struggling with unforgiveness. Think about that person, and then I want you to pray a blessing over them and mean it. And if you don't mean it, <laughs> and now I don't mean this blessing. Lord, open their eyes to their sin. <laughs> I pray that they would not hurt anybody like they hurt me. That's a self-righteous prayer. That's a self-righteous prayer, and you don't want any part of that. You don't want any part of that. See, there's only one sin in the Bible that Jesus said this, if you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you, and it's unforgiveness. Now, again, you have to take into counsel the whole, you have to take the whole counsel of the Word of God. I don't believe that means you lose your salvation at all. Because I believe that God adopts us, and that's a legal term, that once he adopted us, just like here in America, you know you cannot unadopt a child. You, like, like you can't unadopt them. I've got a friend of mine, he uh, older guy, he married his second wife, adopted her child, divorced the lady years later. That's still his daughter. She is legally entitled to one-third because he had two other children. She is legally, he can write the other kids out of the will, but he cannot write the adopted child out of the will. Very interesting stuff. Anyway, I'm not saying that is exactly how the Bible works, but it's pretty doggone close. So anyway, thank God, huh? Because <laughs> if there's any, anyway, I should have been unadopted a long time ago if there was any way to get unadopted. But, uh, but he's gracious and he sticks to his word. So anyway, but here's what he's saying. I forgave you, you forgive them. And when you don't forgive them, he's saying, that's an insult. They did this. And I forgave you of all the stuff you did to me. But you're holding on to that little thing they did. You're insulting me. And what he's saying is, if you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you. Translation is real simply this. You're going to create problems between me and you. 
You know, the, the most Christ-like thing we can do is to forgive people and not have to go tell them. That's one of the things I've seen. Like, hey, I just want you to know that thing you did, I, I just want you to know I forgive you. And I'm like, that's not forgiveness. That's self-righteousness. Again, coming up. We don't have to go tell people you forgive them. You forgive them. It's the most Christ-like thing we can do because why did Jesus come to earth? So that he could forgive sin. I forgive. And if I can't, then it causes a problem here. And this is what, this is what I've seen. 19 years of doing this, this is what I see. So many Christians, so many believers have, have, have had a messed up relationship with Jesus for so long that it has become normal for them and they're okay with it and I'm like man that is not what he is wanting to do so when God is moving on your heart he's leading you to life but life always follows repentance it's the turning from the it's turning from the thinking the way that you did and turning to God in those moments so what God is doing, he's trying to get you to repent, to change the way that you think about people. So when you see those people that hurt you, listen, pastors, I know this one. I was telling somebody the other day or earlier today, I got a whole knife collection in my back. Most pastors do. We just collect knives like, <laughs> got, got plenty. Pastor Byron's got plenty of knives in his back. We understand the need to walk in forgiveness. So whenever, whenever God is trying to get us to change, to think about, uh, he's trying to change the way that we think. When you see people that have hurt you, here's the natural inclination, is to remember what they did to you, right? And you may not remember exactly what they did, but you'll have the, the emotion attached to it. So let's say you're in church today, some of you, probably about half of you, I can just see it right now. <laughs> and God is dealing with you about forgiving people. When you see that person, your natural inclination is to say, is to be bitter at some level, and then to maybe not recall everything they did to you, but to at least have something, but, but it creates that emotion. And here's what God is saying. I want you to repent of that, and how do you do it? Here's how you do it. I'm not going to think about what they did to me. I'm going to think about what you have done for me instead. Man, do you remember whenever they'd said this and did this about me? Instead of pondering that and thinking about it, I'm going to change my thought process in that moment. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm so thankful that you forgave me for way more than what they did to me. And I'm going to just, I'm going to continue to, to go over that and over it and over it. And the result is I'm going to be able to treat those people with kindness and with grace. Why? Because I have changed the way I thought about them. I talked to somebody just a few minutes ago about forgiveness. And, and hey, there's a struggle with these people that have hurt me and my family. And I said, well, here, pray for their children until you can pray for them. And what will happen is as you pray for their children for a long period of time, what's going to happen is you're going to develop a godlike compassion for the failures of the parents. And you're actually going to start to care for them. I'm telling you, I've watched more believers walk in unforgiveness and it has damaged the life-giving relationship that they could have with Jesus. This is why whew, this is why you see people come to church and they get moved and there's no fruit in their life. They're unwilling to change or unwilling to repent. And when you're unwilling to repent, that means that there's never going to be life. So he stirs us and he moves us to get us to repent from that area. So forgiveness is one area. I talk about well, I'm running out of time. Number 2, anxiety. Number two is anxiety. These are the two biggest things I see Christians struggle with. Now, I want, you to, I want you to understand my stance on anxiety. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. I believe it's real. I believe there are some people who are born with a chemical imbalance that makes this very difficult. I also believe that most of them 
are not born with a chemical imbalance. But I'll tell you this, God gave me uh, sympathy, empathy, sympathy, all of it, <laughs> concern for people who struggle with anxiety. So I don't know if y'all remember, we had two big storms over in the Orange County area. Uh, one of them was called Harvey, and uh, he, he flooded my house. He visited, stayed way too long. And then uh, I didn't have flood insurance. So I was like, oh, well, they told me it never floods out here. Whoops. So I didn't bother because I didn't have any money to get flood insurance till the next May. Well, it takes flood insurance. You coming? You coming around the corner there? Okay. Uh, come on. It's a party. Um, so Amelda hits. I've already, I've already paid for my flood insurance, but there's a 30-day waiting period. I was in that 30-day waiting period, and I was driving back and forth from my office to my house, watching the water come closer to my house. And I would drive home, and I'm like, I'd drive back to the office. I'd sit at my desk, and I'd go, well... Uh, okay, now get back to my truck and I'll drive back to my house and I'm watching the water, nothing I can do. I'm like, I'm in freak out mode and there's nothing I can do. And it was like the Lord said, that's what some people live with every day. And I thought, I got a whole different view of this, Lord. Now, I got a whole different view of this, Lord, and I'm sorry for anything I've ever done, anything, any, any snide remarks I've ever made, but I understand that anxiety is real. But I believe in most people, and this is through a lot of reading and studying and listening, I believe you can trace it back many times. If you could go back and you could go back a year, two years, sometimes decades. And what you'll do is you'll find a place, maybe when you were a preteen, I mean, like way on back where you had the opportunity, something was going on and it was out of your control and you had the opportunity to worry about it or to trust God with it. And you grabbed a hold of the worry. That's as a preteen. And then what happens? Once you do something one time, it's always easier to do it again. And so the next time things kind of got out of control, you just kind of embraced the worry factor a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until it becomes a pattern. And whenever you develop a pattern, you just naturally flow with your pattern. And some, of, some people have just developed this pattern of anxiety and worry. And here's what I want to tell you. God can set you free. Now, if your doctor says you need, you need chemical help, if there is a chemical imbalance, please feel free to get chemical help. You should do it, all right? Like if you have high cholesterol, don't be like, well, Lord, going to heal my cholesterol. Take the medicine, all right? But see medication as the bridge to total healing, okay? See it as the bridge to total healing, not the crutch to walk with for the rest of your life, but the bridge that's gonna get you to the place of total healing. So, God, so if God stirs you about, about your anxiety, and this is what we see, you hear a message, you've been stirred, you come up to the front, you get prayed for, and you're like, whoo, I declare I'm free. I'm gonna, just so you'll know, deliverance is never as easy as we make it out to be. <laughs> We talk about, man, I'm delivered, hallelujah. It's the living it out that's the difficult part. So you say, I'm free. And the next day, there's no change. See, when he stirs us, we need to repent and change the way that we're thinking. So here's what that would look like. And again, this is the super dumbed down cliff note version because it's a lot more complicated than this. But I, I, I walk up, I see that situation where something's out of my control. In that moment, I have God saying, I want you to repent. Instead of worrying, I need to turn and say, Lord, this might not work out like I want it to. And you know, things don't work out like we want them to most of the time, it seems like, doesn't it? We can pray and pray and pray. And God's saying, uh, I'm going to let this one go a different direction. 
But I turn and I look and I say, Lord, I don't know if this is going to work out the way I want to. I'm going to pray that it does. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship you because you are my father and you will walk with me through it, which is better than me getting my way in the first place. And then you're going to go about another 10 minutes and you're going to have to say it again. <laughs> I, listen, I don't do a word for the year because I'm not like that. <laughs> I don't use multicolored markers in my journal. I don't do that. But it, I felt like I had a word for this year called victory. And so I wrote down some stuff in my journal about it. I do it, on, uh, I do it online. I do it on my, in my Dropbox and I just keep it running for the whole year. And I put it at the front and pinned it so it's always there. Every area I'm praying for victory for. And to this day, almost everything that I've been praying for is the exact opposite. Like it's been the crappiest year that you can imagine. Like, and I'm like, Lord, thanks for victory. Like, how about, how about my word for the year being poverty? If this is the way it's going, I'll take that all day long. You know, but every day I'll pray over these things and I'll say, and every time I get a kick, you know, I get a kick in the chest from, you know, punching the jaw. And I'm like, Lord, I thank you that you're my victory. You're my victory. You, you not only go before me, you go behind me, but you carry me through it too. And so I don't care what happens. I declare in the name of Jesus, you're my victory. And, and what, he, what I felt like he told me is like, I get way more glory from you not getting all the things you want than actually getting them. Because I like it whenever you worship when you can't see the end. And that's what I want from you is to have that kind of faith. And so whenever we're struggling with that anxiety, you're gonna have to turn and worship. You're gonna have to turn and give it to the Lord. You're gonna have to turn every day over and over and over again. But that's what repentance looks like. And what, so what is it that keeps stir, this stirring in us? And it can be for anything. It can be for you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. God wants you to change this. He wants you to change it. He wants you to call the people that you never called before to step out in faith. Whatever it is, what keeps the stirring from becoming reality is repentance. We are unwilling to repent. We are unwilling to change. We are unwilling to think differently. We have to turn from, turn to. Thank you. Number two, we're speeding through this. Number two is that we need to be baptized. So baptized is the outward expression. Here's the easiest way. Let some, here's the easiest way. I'm not saying that God stirs your heart and then you get baptized. That's an outward expression that we make. Here's the easiest outward expression and there's others, but here's the easiest outward expression that we can make. When God stirs your heart to forgive somebody or, to, or to, be, to overcome anxiety, tell somebody. Find somebody and say, I struggle with unforgiveness with these people and I'm gonna, I, God has stirred my heart to forgive them. Now listen, do not go find the person who has the gift of mercy for this, okay? They'll be like, oh, you know what? You're gonna do fine. They probably deserve that anyway. Find the, find the, uh, find the coach, all right? The gift of coaching. <laughs> I work out, uh, my wife owns a gym. I know y'all can't tell, but I work out there and uh, I don't put a lot of effort into it. I try and I'm like, ah, it ain't gonna make no difference. No way, I'll be good. I can cut those reps, I can do this. And sometimes I just don't even wanna be there. And, and you'll hear me say this, like in the corner, I'll be over there by myself. And I'll, be like, I'll be like, get it together, Faulkner, come on. And sometimes we need somebody who just say, get it together, get it together. So if you're struggling with unforgiveness, let somebody know, I'm struggling with unforgiveness, but make sure you find the person who wants to know who you're struggling with, who are the people. Because I'm gonna call you and I'm gonna make sure that you're praying a blessing over them. 
And every time I see you, we're going to have a little conversation about it. That's accountability. Same thing. Hey, if you're struggling with anxiety, you find somebody that's not going to be, oh, poor baby, poor baby. You need to walk up to him and say, God has stirred me that I'm going to be free from deliverance, and I want you to be the person in my life that bears witness of it. And I don't know how I'm going to do it, but will you walk with me through this? We need to get people walking with us. So after that, what do I do? Just like it's just like Peter said, I receive the Holy Spirit. That's the power that moves us to action. Here's what the Holy Spirit did not come to do. Here's a list. He did not come to make us feel good. He did not come to give us powerful services. He did not come so that we could speak in tongues. He did not even come to heal your marriage and he did not come to give you a better job. Sorry. All of these are real things that he can do. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't even heal marriages. Like, like we have a marriage mentoring program at the church and right now we're dealing with, and I say multiple, I mean like many people who are have who've been married for a long time that are having that have had affairs for years right and my statement to him is God is not going to heal your marriage he will heal you and he will heal you and if he doesn't heal you this isn't going to work God heals people and that produces strong marriages so the very very easy problem most common problem in charismatic churches is that we seek for power more than we seek repentance. We seek deliverance more than we seek repentance. And whenever we do that, there's no power. Now, along with what we're fixed to talk about here in just a second, I want you to understand something. If we sought the lost, if we sought the lost as much as we sought for powerful services, our community would have to be different, wouldn't it? If we sought for lost people and we sought them out as much as we pray for powerful services, this'd be a different place. It's a struggle. This is the, one of those weaknesses that we have. So here's what the Holy Spirit did come to do. The Holy Spirit is alive in us to empower us to live a life of obedience to Jesus. That means whenever he says, go, we just go. Turn, I just turn. To defeat sin in every way. Whatever that sin is you struggle with, the Holy Spirit is here and alive to help you smash it and put it under your feet. To handle the storms of life in a way that glorify God. That's really how people's lives see, uh, I mean, like they see, they see us when everything's going good and everybody, everybody's happy when everything's going good, but it's whenever things are bad that our light shines brightest. That's when it's supposed to happen, power of the Holy Spirit, and then to expand the kingdom, and then to expand the kingdom. That's victorious living. So how do we get the power of the Holy Spirit? How do I get this power to do this? <laughs> we repent. <laughs> when he stirs you, it's to tell you there's a turn that has to there's a turn that has to take place. There's a mindset that has to change, and I don't know what yours is, but if you don't do it, you're just going to get stirred again later on, and then you're going to get stirred again later on, and there won't be any fruit in your life. But whenever you make that decision, you need to let somebody know. Now, what you'll see after that is the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you were stirred to do power to follow up Acts chapter 2 these guys did what they were supposed to do they did what they were supposed to do the the power of God is not alive and well to make us feel good okay it is alive and well for those who've repented and have made that outward expression to empower you to change it's the power to walk over your mountains and the power to walk through your valleys in a way that glorifies God it's a it is a power to call that causes us to handle our storms in a way as if it reflects that we know where we're going. 
That's heaven for those that are on board, okay? (laughs) That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Plenty more to say, not going to. When God stirs you, it is to get you to repent. You may not be doing something wrong, but he's saying, this is what you were doing, but I want you thinking like this. You gotta change the way you think. Let somebody else know, and I promise you, you will be be held accountable. Don't expect drastic, immediate change in everybody else. But I wanna see, I wanna tell you, you're gonna allow the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to live as though you were already dead to yourself. And the life of Jesus comes flowing up. The life of Jesus to give you victory over sin and to handle the conflicts and the storms in a way that brings him glory because that's what we were called to do anyway. And in that is life. We don't seek for that glory, giving glory to God all the time. That's why there's no, we don't have that life. The power of the Holy Spirit is alive.